Hello and welcome to another podcast from Hepatitis Victoria. Today I'm talking to Margaret Littlejohn, who is a medical scientist working at the Victorian Infectious Diseases Reference Laboratory. Margaret does research and diagnostic work into Hepatitis B, and I talked to her about a recent research project she's involved in. Margaret, you are part of a team that's done some really fascinating new research on the evolution of the hepatitis B virus and its journey through the human population to Australia. Can you talk a little bit about that, just an outline of the research? We found that the precursor of the modern HBV C4, which is the strain of hepatitis B that's mostly found in Indigenous Australians, our work has shown that that uh, entered Australia more than 51,000 years ago. It's an incredible deduction, isn't it? How did you go about that research, or how did you even think of that idea? Well, there's sort of two strands that came together. The first was the actual study itself. So the work was done in collaboration with a group from the Menzies in Darwin. They had seen a lot of hepatitis B in the Indigenous community. They do a lot of outreach programs and clinics in, in very remote communities. And they actually approached us and said, we have all this hepatitis B here, but we don't know much about it. You know, what do you know? And our answer was, well, we don't know anything about it either. This was back in 2010 when the project first started. Um, and so we put together a collaboration, it's called the CHARM study. It was characterising the hepatitis B from those communities. And that's where we discovered the hepatitis B virus C4 strain. And that seems exclusively found in Indigenous people in the north of Australia. So was that why you were able to trace its origins, because it was an exclusive strain? Partly, yeah. And also, as we were looking more into it, we sequenced a lot of the viruses from different communities. And what we noticed was this amazing sort of geographical clustering it actually reached the point where they would send us a sample and I would sequence the virus and I could tell them what community that virus came from. From that work, we've then did some very fancy phylogenetic analysis and computer analysis of the sequences using some amazing programs. That allowed us to actually date when the ancestor of that first virus would have arisen. It allowed us to put forward a model as to which direction that came into Australia from. And it is very specific, isn't it? I mean, you talk yes. about North Australia, the Tiwi Islands, that, that kind of area. Yes, absolutely. We've never found a, a C4 strain in anyone who's not Indigenous. We have sequenced samples from other Indigenous people that are more the European strains or the Asian strains, but we've never found that C4 strain in any other non-Indigenous person. And so outside of Australia, if amongst other peoples who are non-Indigenous, it doesn't, it it's doesn't we've, it's not no, been found it's, so far? So far, <laughs> yes. We can't say it's not there because we don't know that, but it's never been seen anywhere else outside of Australia. I mean, there are probably many reasons, but why is it important for us to understand the, the vector of the virus or the history of the virus? Hepatitis B is found worldwide in, in pretty much all populations, Indigenous and non-Indigenous. Um, there's not a lot of variation within the virus itself. The virus has characteristics of being an ancient human pathogen. It has a very long period of no, no symptoms and then... Um, moves into sort of chronic disease 
and causes problems but when people are past reproductive age and so that allows the virus to be carried and passed on even in small populations and presumably hunter-gather populations. So it's been a pathogen of humans for a very very long time but it's a huge problem, it's a huge public burden worldwide, not just in Australia, it's found in a lot of other Indigenous communities. Hepatitis B is a huge problem, isn't it, worldwide? Yes. I, mean, I think there's something like nearly 300 million people. Yes, I think the, the current WHO figures are 250 million. Yeah. Um, and even though we do have vaccine and there are treatments, the treatments don't cure. So if you start treatment, then generally you need to be on treatment for life. The vaccine is time critical, so the birth dose is really important. You know, especially for Indigenous people and low-income settings, the vaccination program is, it is suboptimal. So people are still being affected. And to be clear, the virus, when it becomes chronic or full-blown, will actually attack the, the liver and yes. end up cause, causing all kinds of other problems yes. with the, the, the body and the liver. Yeah, um, the, the hepatitis B virus is one of the most oncogenic things known, known to man um, mm. outside of cigarette smoking. Yes. So it, it causes a, a lot of liver cancer. Yeah, that's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. In terms of the, the virulent nature of the virus, the strength of the virus, has it changed over time? Can you deduce from your research whether it was more virulent when it first arrived or... Has it no, it, that's not something that we can work out. We've only looked at modern day sequences and sort of modelled what and that the ancient virus may have looked like. There's been some really interesting research published this year um, where they've managed to isolate some hepatitis B virus from bones in Europe that were at least 7,000 years old. And the interesting thing is mostly they look pretty similar to the modern day viruses. So we, we presume that the virus hasn't changed much over is, is a that, long, long period of time. As I say, say normal, but is that regular? Because it must mean that the virus itself has, it doesn't have to kind of vary itself or, or even evolve in that sense because it's still being passed on. Yeah, it? well, it, it is really interesting in terms of, you look at other vir viruses like flu that you know are changing all the time. And even with hepatitis B, there is a lot of chance for it to change and new variants to, be, to um, come forward even within a person because we know it's constantly trying to escape the immune pressure or the immune system of the host that's working to try and um, uh, get rid of it. We, we, we sometimes call it a stealth virus where it sort of hides just out of view and so the immune system doesn't get a chance to react against it. It has an error-prone replication, and so actually there are a lot of changes that can go on. It's a little like it's been suggested the Red Queen hypothesis from Alice in Wonderland, where all these changes happen, but then they change back again. So ultimately you don't end up with, with a lot of evolution or, or variance happening over a long mm. period of time. So you must be using quite a lot of interesting new technology, is that right? Yeah, a lot of that is around the, the software analysis of the DNA. We've been able to sequence the DNA for a few, quite a few years now. But it's more those analysis techniques in terms of you know, statistical methods, putting sequences together and comparing them against each other. Finding the 
C4 um, virus in these particular communities. Was that a surprise from the research or was it an initial hypothesis? Oh no, it was something that came out much later. The original study, apart from working out what virus was was actually occurring in those communities, um, and, and the study actually is ongoing, uh, the CHARM study, and I think we now have almost 250 patients who are enrolled and they're in care and they're being treated when they need to be and followed up. That project's still going, but yeah, this study was something that was sort of serendipitous, came out of of the work that was being done. Talking about the patients, I presume that because of the the nature of the research and the findings, uh, what's been the response of the um, Indigenous and Aboriginal communities to, to this? It's been really interesting. Originally the project um, got ethics approval to through the Menzies in Darwin. They have an institutional review reference group, uh, an Indigenous reference group that um, we worked with quite closely in terms of developing the study and also when these results started to come through we met with them several times and we've taken the study back to the communities as well and talked to the Indigenous people about what we found. There's been a a lot of positive feedback, especially, you know, when we said, you know, it's been here for a a very, very long time. So it's actually hard facts about the presence of um, Aboriginal people in Australia for tens of thousands of years, 51,000 years, you say? Yes, well, it it sort of matches what the archaeological findings are at the moment in time. So it's just another strand of evidence that helps show that that longevity of the culture. In terms of helping the patients, what will this research do? In the immediate aftermath of the publication, there's been a lot of um, reports, there's been a lot of interest um, the healthcare workers are having people come up and, and say, you know, um, do I have this? Do I need to get tested? So it's actually raised the profile of hepatitis B in the communities, and, and that's a good thing. Um, one of the problems with all viral hepatitis, both B and C, is there's a lot of people out there who don't actually know they're infected or affected, and they need to know so that they can be managed or manage the disease. Has it opened up other avenues for research? But we are doing several other studies that have come out of this in terms of looking at that particular C4 strain. Is it more virulent? Is it going, you know, causing worse outcomes than other hepatitis B virus strains? Um, the CHARM study itself has also expanded now. We've got a, another NH and MRC grant to expand that study and we're getting samples now from Cairns in Queensland and hoping to go across the other side into Western Australia and the Kimberleys, partly to see whether that C4 strain is throughout the rest of Australia as well, but also to, you know, help those communities with the hepatitis B burden. You mentioned in the um, research that the um, strain follows two different paths, which equate to the different language, two different language groups in Australia, uh, uh, Indigenous language groups. Can yeah, you talk a little bit about that? That, That's was, that was really interesting. Um, I'm not sure whether the dating fits with the language analysis, but um, the Indigenous languages are divided into two main groups in Australia. and. I'm, I'm really bad at the pronunciation. <laughs> but there's the Parmanoongan, which covers most of Australia, and then the non-Parmanoongan, which are focused around the um, that northern top end of the Northern Territory and the northern parts of Australia. 
And from our research, the C4 strain of hepatitis B, when it entered Australia, actually split into two separate divisions. And from what a very broad brush shows, those two divisions actually match those two divisions of the language as languages as well. So it, it was, yeah, really interesting. I guess because you're finding out so much through deduction about the presence of Indigenous cultures. I mean, their endorsement today for the research must be very, very important. Oh, absolutely. There's no way we could do it without without the support and, and the approval of the communities. It, it's essential. We um, just couldn't do the study without that. You mentioned there's some um, ongoing research. So what's next for this particular um, approach? Um, well, as I said, we're, we're looking at the virus itself and <clears throat> clinical outcomes from, from the virus to see if, if they differ from other strains of the virus found in other parts of the world because that may change how we manage patients. Um, there's, there's also uh, several other studies going on in the laboratory around, around that particular virus and comparing it to other genotypes. Margaret, is there anything um, else that I need to ask you or that you'd like to add about the, the paper that um, you think listeners might be interested in? Um, no, I think we've covered most of it. I have to admit, as a laboratory research science scientist, working on a study that's allowed me to look at ancient history, the archaeology, the linguistics, and also find out a huge amount about Indigenous culture that I didn't know. It's not something I expected to do when, you know, most of our work deals with tubes of serum and samples in the laboratory. So it's, it's been an awesome study in terms of that. Yes. Um, and yeah, the collaboration with the group in Darwin has been so important. That was Margaret Littlejohn. And if you would like to hear more podcasts or learn more about what we do at Hepatitis Victoria, go to our website, hepvic.org.au. Thank you very much. <laughs>